Welcome to First Do No Harm with Massachusetts Citizens for Life board member and physician, Dr. Mark Rollo. This broadcast will focus on medical ethics from a Catholic perspective and address abortion, physician-assisted suicide, contraception, natural family planning, IVF, healthcare proxy, and other topics. Please be advised that this show may not be appropriate for children under 13. Hello and welcome back to First Do No Harm, a show about medical ethics from a Catholic perspective. I'm Dr. Mark Rollo. We have spent a lot of time recently discussing three destructive ideologies wrought by the sexual revolution of the 1960s. Sex without babies, ushered in by the contraceptive ideology, ultimately led to babies without sex, as love became increasingly disconnected from life. Common sense definitions of male, female, and marriage have become casualties of the insane divorce ideology and gender ideology. The cultural elites have declared gender to be fluid and therefore can mean anything you want it to mean. Because gender can mean anything or nothing, confusion reigns to such an extent that the simple natural law realities of male, female, and marriage are somehow controversial. The situation has become so bizarre that we have a future Supreme Court justice who cannot define woman. Today we will continue our in-depth discussion of gender ideology and how it is destroying lives and how the church's vision of sexuality is the only rational and workable vision to produce human flourishing. Before we continue, let us pray. For as stated by the U.S. Catholic bishops, only with prayer, prayer that storms the heavens for justice and mercy, prayer that cleanses our hearts and souls, will the culture of death that surrounds us today be replaced with a culture of life. Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 reads this way. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. O God, 
help us to see that when we try to make ourselves in our own image, instead of your image, we reap confusion, discord, and darkness. Help us to see your light and your grace. Help us to see you who are full of grace and truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, here is part two of my recent conversation with Dr. Joseph Zalot of the National Catholic Bioethics Center as we continue to discuss the absurdity and destructiveness of gender ideology. Uh, Gender dysphoria. Now, this is, I guess, a a real entity that, uh, you know, some people feel uncomfortable being the sex they are. I mean, we used to, when I was growing up, we used the term tomboys, you know, and uh, there were, I remember one girl in particular in the neighborhood she wanted to do all the guy stuff. You know, she wanted to do sports with us and football and baseball. And we kind of said, well, yeah, that's that's a little strange, but that's okay. And so, <laughs> and we, but we didn't, we just called her a tomboy. We didn't, you know, we didn't think of terms like gender dysphoria. But can you uh, define your understanding of what gender dysphoria is and then talk about the three general approaches to treating this uh, entity? Yeah, we can do that. Um, actually, if, I'd, I'd like to, if I could add, if we could, in addition to talking gender dysphoria, I would like to, if we could talk about the term assigned at birth as well, because yes. that, that's really a foundational thing, and, but we'll get to that. Okay. Um, I, I, it's funny when you were talking about a tomboy, because a tomboy doesn't necessarily connote gender dysphoria. Um, I know plenty of women, yeah, even right. in my family, who, you know, as, as girls, um, they were great in sports um, and, you know, did very, very well competing against boys in sports. They were Tom, but they're, you know, they are women. There's, you know, never any issue. But yeah, but, it, but in, in terms of all of this, so, so what is gender dysphoria? And I, I think a, a bit of context is important. So up until 2013, um, the American Psychiatric Association used a term called gender identity disorder. Mm-hmm. That described a person who... Well, Mark, let's just say you you had the perception that you were a woman, right? Mm-hmm. You believed you were a woman, right? It was called gender identity disorder. In 2013, the um, the APA, the American Psychiatric Association, they issued their the fifth edition of their Diagnostic and Statistical Manual um, for Mental Health Disorders, um, and they changed it, right? And the process of the change, as I understand it, was uh, a small group of, it was the, you know, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, uh, transgender subgroup of the APA uh, petitioned without any scientific knowledge or anything else, but it was essentially a political thing, a political push to get the APA to change. Mm -hmm. And the APA did, and they dropped gender identity disorder and adopted what's, uh, they adopted what's called gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. And the the definition of gender dysphoria is, and this is, this is very interesting. The definition is this, quote, the distress, 
and I'm underscoring the word distress, we'll see why in a sec, the distress that may accompany the incongruence between one's experienced or expressed gender and one's assigned gender. Now, again, I'm going to talk about assigned gender in a little bit. But notice the, it's not even a sleight of hand. I mean, they just changed it, all right? The distress that may accompany the incongruence. So what the APA did was they said, essentially by, by you know, jettisoning gender identity disorder and adopting gender dysphoria, what they're saying is, Mark, your beliefs, your perception that you are a female there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's healthy. Mm-hmm. The commentators say that that's actually healthy. However, what? Well, we recognize that there's distress, there's anxiety, there's conflict that people can experience as a result of the incongruence. And usually they, they, they blame others, you know, they blame society for not accepting your perception that you're a female. And this distress or this anxiety or this conflict that's gender dysphoria. So when we're talking, and we'll talk a little bit later on about you know medical interventions and things, mm-hmm. you're not actually treating a mental health disorder. What you're doing is you're treating the distress, the anxiety, yes. the conflict that comes about because of your perception that you are a female. And that, that's something that people, they just don't understand. Yeah, that's um, interesting. The yeah. whole thing is about treating symptoms not about treating an underlying mental health right. disorder. So you wrote that there were three uh, general uh, approaches originally. There was this, the reparative therapy and then watchful waiting and then gender affirmation going from more traditional to more radical. Could you I- explain these approaches? And uh, you sort of did in, in your last comment, but what what are what's... Basically, these uh, different approaches. Before doing that, could, could, could I sort of hijack the interview for a Sure, second? absolutely. Because there's something else, there, there's a foundational point that I, I really, you know, whenever I do any kind of presentation on this, there's something that I want to make sure that everybody is aware of. First, I want them to be aware of ge- what gender dysphoria is, because mm-hmm. we hear the term so does, a lot. But I also want people to be very clear about the term assigned at birth. Mm, okay, and, right. And, and, and the reason is that this term assigned at birth has gone, come into the lexicon in, in medical field, in legal documents and everything else. People will hear this all the time. And, you know, just going back to the, the definition of gender dysphoria, the distress that may accompany the incongruence between one's ex- experienced or expressed gender and one's assigned gender. This is really important. Because if we're going to counter gender ideology and we're going to counter transgenderism, we need to counter it at its foundation, cut it off at the knees, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And assigned at birth is that, as I understand it, it's that foundation. So what happens is you have transgender advocates. What they argue is that, and, and this is another change, we're not male or female Right? We weren't born, or excuse me, we weren't created male or female or whatever the case may be. Our sex is assigned to us by our doctors or our parents. So this is where this assigned at birth language comes in. So Mark, what was your sex assigned at birth? And the reason they do this is because if they can, dem- or if they can argue that your sex is assigned to you by somebody else. It's not objective. It's assigned to you by somebody else. 
then they've got the justification for you to say you can go ahead and reassign it. Mm-hmm. Okay? Fact of the matter is, however, that sex is not assigned at birth. Uh, sex is uh, determined at conception. We know this. Mm-hmm. Right? Our sex is objectively determined. It's not subjectively assigned. And because it's subjectively determined, you can't change it. Now, people say, oh, what are you talking about, Joe? Well, science demonstrates very clearly that from fertilization, from sperm egg fusion, fertilization, conception, whichever term you want to use, you have XX or XY chromosomes. That's right. XX, female, XY, or male, Mm -hmm. right? We know Every cell. Yeah, every cell in your body, right? That is objective. That is from conception. I also like to point this out as well, too. Now, IVF and visual fertilization is immoral. It's completely immoral. But, you know, sometimes good can come from evil. IVF clinics every single day in our country, and actually around the world, all right, they create, I shouldn't say they create, they manufacture embryos. And very, very early on, I don't know exactly if, if we're talking hours today or days, we're not talking weeks, months, years here, but very early on in the process before any kind of sexual characteristics are available. You've got an embryo, right? Mm-hmm. They will ask the parents, they'll say, do you want a boy or do you want a girl? Mm-hmm. And let's say the parents say, we want a girl. Well, they do, you know, they do testing or whatever, however they figure it out, and XX chromosome. Mm-hmm. And they implant those embryos that have XX chromosomes. Why? Because sex is objective. And guess what? They get it right all yeah, the time. That's right. So they didn't assign it, it huh? They don't. Exactly. <laughs> that's the point. Your sex is not assigned at birth. Yeah. But this is what the transgender advocates want you to believe. And they've been very successful in getting language change. I mean, go, get, go to a doctor's office. Right? They'll ask you, you know, when you do your intake, um, what's your sex assigned at birth? And my answer to this is I had a really good conversation with my primary care physician on this. I said, my sex wasn't assigned at birth. I can't answer that question. <laughs> and I just refused to answer that question. Because yeah. My sex is not assigned at birth. But again, the, the advocates, you know, the, the gender ideologues want you to believe it is for the reason that if it's subjectively assigned to you by your doctor or your parents, then you can subjectively reassign it. And we can't because sex is objective. Yeah, so they just, uh, like in all these social changes, they they try to hijack the language. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Abortion is not abortion. Abortion is reproductive rights or choice or whatever the case may be. Right. It's the same thing. Whoever controls language controls the culture. The gender ideologues have done a, 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 I mean, give them credit. They've fooled a lot of people with their use of language. Yeah. So, um, sorry for hijacking. Yeah, that's all right. (laughs) No, that's, that's, that's why I'm talking to you because, uh, you're the, uh, expert on these things. Uh, I don't know about that. (laughs) Well then, so, uh, so tell us about those terms, um, reparative therapy and so on and, and why they, uh, the reparative therapy in particular, you got, pretty much blackballed and and if you were trying to repair somebody's um gender confusion um right. you were breaking the law in some states right oh you are yeah so so you mentioned reparative therapy watchful waiting and so-called gender affirmation exactly so um it's kind of definitions uh, as you as you asked before so uh, reparative therapy or reparative therapy maybe is a better way of saying mm-hmm. is okay you've got a person Let's say you've got a patient who um, 
believes that he or she is, is the wrong sex or the opposite sex. What reparative therapy is going to seek to do, and it, it, it's under different terms, um, but what you're going to do is, is seek to diagnose why is this person or this child, right, why is it that they believe that they're mm-hmm. the wrong sex? I mean, are there underlying medical, uh, excuse me, mental health issues, um, family dynamics, um, social media use. I mean, that's a big thing. Social contagion. You may have, Mark, I'm sure you've probably heard of, um, uh, I believe her name is Lisa Littman, who has uh, done research on what she calls rapid onset gender dysphoria. When particularly girls get together in a group and they, you know, one of them perceives that she is a boy and then, you know, many of the other ones do. Hmm. So reparative therapy is going gonna, is gonna to look at, like, what are the factors? What, what's causing this person to believe that he or she is, quote-unquote, the wrong sex? And then addressing those factors, you know, in a holistic mental health um, therapy way. So that's reparative therapy. Now, the, the gender ideologues, again, they, you can't have that. Yeah, right. They, they will call this, they call it conversion therapy. They call it all sorts of, you know, names and this, that. And as you said, there's 20-some-odd states who have actually made it illegal. Yeah. So, I, you know, I want your listeners to know and that there are states where if a person, even a child, comes to a, a, a mental health professional and, claim, and, you know, claims that he or she is the wrong gender, it's against the law yeah. for that mental health professional to even inquire about yeah. why they believe this. It, it's, it's absolutely insane. And that, um, that gets back to what you said before, that, that the more... You know, the more normal it sounds, the more heavily they have to come down on you. Exactly. It's the coercive power of the state. Yeah. You, you, it, it's, so, it's, it's so ridiculous to think that a, a, a mental health professional should ask a child why they believe they're the wrong sex, that they have to bring the, the, the power of the state yeah. to prevent it. Yeah, it's amazing. But that's where we are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the, um, and then I, I guess um, watchful waiting is sort of what, I was kind of alluding to when I talked about the, you know, the tomboy friend uh, that I had that uh, <laughs> that we didn't and you and you rightly say, you know, well that's not necessarily dysphoria. She wasn't dysphoric about it, right. and she wasn't saying I am a male. She just right. was basically, just you know, sports. saying yeah, yeah, I <laughs> I want to play with the guys and compete exactly. against them. Yeah. Um, and so we didn't make a big deal out of it, and I suppose, well, maybe that's not the greatest analogy, but we had watchful waiting, and, and sure enough, when, uh, you know, she was a um, uh, senior in high school, she was very much into uh, more feminine sorts of things. Yeah. Well, the watchful waiting thing, and, and again, it's, this is really more for, for children who have, you know, clinical... Uh, indications of gender dysphoria. So, you know, the tomboy thing is kind of set that aside because right. that's yeah. really not going on. Right. Here. But, but what we do know is that now we're talking children here. So, prepubescent or pubescent children who uh, have these, you know, these feelings or these perceptions that they're the wrong sex. What we do know is that depending on the study, between eighty to ninety-five percent of those children essentially will grow out of it. Yeah. As right. Mature. Um, we know this. You know, that's assuming they're not affirmed. They don't go down the road of puberty-blocking hormones, yeah. classic hormones, which we'll yeah. get into, and all that other there. Yeah. Interestingly, there's a, um, there's, I don't know if he's, I believe he's a psychiatrist. Um, his name is Ken Zucker. He's out of Canada. And Ken Zucker, actually, he's supportive of people, quote-unquote, transitioning, but mm-hmm. adults. You know, he's like, you've got to be, right. you know, you've got to be an adult to make these decisions. And he has been blackballed by the gender ideology. Amazing. Um, movement because he has said, even though he supports it in adults, 
he has said, children, we shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't mm. be doing this with kids. And he's been blackballed. Um, he was mm. actually fired for his job, and he sued, and he won. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to be incredible. Honest. But it's just even, you know, talk about eating your own. Yeah. You know, the ideology, if, if you, even if you're supportive of the ideology, mm-hmm. if you raise any questions about it, you're just, you know, you're, you're just, you're just destroyed. Yeah. And that's what happened to, to, to Ken Zucker. Yeah, so much for the uh, tolerant left, right? Oh, yes, <laughs> yes. So then the gender affirmation, um, maybe you, you, could you just kind of go through that whole uh, process? Yeah, so gender affirmation, this is, this is the misnomer, sort of like we, you know, we mentioned before that you know, uh, abortion supporters you know, use choice, they use uh, reproductive freedom to, to disguise right. what's actually going on. Exact same thing is going on here. Right? So this gender affirmative care What's really happening um, with this is that medical professionals are altering a person, including a child's mm-hmm. physical body, so that it matches their perception of what they are. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. You're altering the body. Uh, you're altering the mind first, and then you're altering the body. Yeah, so, that, yeah, that's so they do the... We, we can, we'll go through the steps in a minute, but that's basically what, quote-unquote, the gender-affirmative model... Yeah, it just seems so, uh, you know, just... just outright crazy but like you said they they getting to the steps they uh, they start by listening to the person talk about their the sense of their self and then they go about you know affirming that yep and um and then why don't why don't you go ahead on to the other steps after after that first step yeah so in, in terms of the the quote-unquote gender affirmative care model uh, again it's it's you know, it's changing body. That's what it really is. Yeah. So there's kind of there's four steps to it essentially. So there's affirming psychotherapy, then there's puberty blocking hormones, there's cross sex hormones, and then there's so called sex reassignment surgery. Right. To call it sex change operations. Yeah. Um, but let's let's kind of run through them fairly quickly. So the yeah. first step is affirming psychotherapy, as you said. And so what happens first? You know, a person comes um, into a, a therapist's office. It actually, it could be a doctor's office, therapist's office, whatever. And they say that, well, I believe I'm, I'm the wrong sex. Well, the first thing you do, according to this uh, model, is not to ask any questions about it, certainly, because we can't do that. Mm-hmm. But you have to affirm them in, the, in their perception that they're the wrong sex. So that's the first thing you do. So, Mark, you come to me and you say, Joe, I believe I'm really a woman. The first thing I do as a medical professional is say, Mark, you are a woman. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's, that's the very first thing you do, Yeah. according to this model of care. Now, we're laughing about it because we recognize it's so ridiculous. Yeah. But this is, this is, what's, this is what's happening. And then with this affirmative, um, uh, you know, affirming psychotherapy does, it encourages people, encourages you, Mark, so I would encourage you, Mark, to uh, do what they call social transitioning. So wear, you know, wear women's clothing, mm-hmm. um, speak in a voice, in a feminine voice, change your voice. So does that names and pronouns, you know, use yeah. the names and pronouns that I want. And it encourages people to begin the process of, quote, unquote, um, transitioning. Now, there's a lot of problems with this. First of all, it encourages people to, or well, it encourages them to believe and ultimately convinces them that they are the wrong sex. Yeah. I mean, that, which is untrue. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's absolutely untrue. It's objectively not true. 
Walt Heyer, I don't, do you know that, does the name Walt Heyer no. ring a bell with you at all? No. Walt Heyer is a, a man who, quote-unquote, transitioned to a woman back in the 1980s, and he detransitioned, which, by the way, there's a huge movement of detransitioning oh. going on. Yes, and Walt, I do remember that story. Uh, Walt yeah. is a very outspoken, um, you know, he's a very outspoken critic of, of gender ideology mm-hmm. for a number of different reasons. But he said, you know, what affirming psychotherapy does implicitly is it tells you that there's something wrong with you. So, Mark, you come to me and you say, I believe I'm a woman. And I say, oh, yes, Mark, you are a woman and everything else. What I'm implicitly telling you is that as a man, there's something wrong with you. And there's other things that Walt um, talks about as well, too. But other parts of it, there's, there's no evidence that any of this. Actually, there's no evidence that any of these interventions that we're going to talk about um, works. Um, you know, the, the, there's no studies, there's no, you know, the gold standard studies, the, you know, the, the large um, sample size, the randomized testing, the testing against established, you know, psychiatric norms and things like that. They're, they're, those tests aren't there. there. There's no evidence that this is actually helpful, yet we go ahead with it. Plus, the, this affirming care does not address any of the, the mental health issues mm-hmm. that, we, that we talked about before. So we know that with people who... Um, who have the perception that they're the wrong sex? There's, um, you know, there's depression, there's anxiety, uh, bipolar issues. We know autism uh, plays a role in this. Yet, this psychotherapy does nothing to address any of those. Yeah. Says, you come in and says, you know, you be- you believe you're Mark. You believe you're a woman. Guess what? You're a woman. I affirm you. Mm-hmm. And that's the first step. This concludes part two of my conversation with Dr. Joseph Zalat as we discuss the absurdity of the so-called gender-affirmative care model, where the clinician essentially agrees with the patient's delusion that he or she is the wrong sex. As you heard, this is step one of gender-affirming care. Any attempt to get to the bottom of the patient's belief that he or she is the wrong sex is actually illegal in more than 20 states, which demonstrates the validity of the statement that the more absurd the belief, the more the coercive power of the state is needed. And if you think that step one of gender-affirming care is preposterous, tune in next time for steps two, three, and four which are as abusive as they are ludicrous. And until next time, remember, we should always treat life with care and respect. And at the very least, we should first do no harm. First, do no harm with Dr. Mark Rollo is produced at WQPH 89.3 FM, Shirley Richburg. We are very happy to share it with other networks. Thank you for tuning in to First Do No Harm. Dr. Rollo welcomes your questions and comments. You may contact him at markrollo978 at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K-R-O-L-L-O 978 at gmail.com. Thank you, and until next week, remember, first, do no harm.